Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Start With Questions podcast, a podcast hosted by Mount Vernon Ventures, a transformation R&D company at the Mount Vernon School based in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm your host, Brett Jacobson, the CEO of the Mount Vernon organization, and joining me today are Bo Adams, Chief Learning and Innovation Officer at the Mount Vernon School, and Ann Marsh Rutledge, Executive Director of Mount Vernon Ventures. They're here today to answer the question, how does maker education benefit students and schools in today's context? So welcome, Bowen and Marsh, to the podcast. Hi, welcome. Thanks so much. Great to be here. So over the past decade, the Mount Vernon School has integrated maker programmatically throughout the school from our youngest preschool learners all the way through our upper school. And over time, that has looked very different. We tried a number of things, uh, made progress along the way, and certainly we have failed up along the way. So, Bo, let's start out with you. Tell our listeners about the evolution of Maker at the Mount Vernon School. Yeah, that's an exciting story for me. I've been here 11 years, and I think, Brett, this is year 14 for you. Actually, this is... I'll be in, I'm entering my 15th, I believe. Entering 15. Okay. So I think I'm a history that, teacher by trade. So, you know, my, my <laughs> math could be messed up. Um, I think a lot of our origin stories are going back um, at least 11 years, maybe a little bit longer. It's really connected with design thinking. Um, I love the story of Brett going to NAIS and hearing George Kimbrell speak from uh, the Stanford D School and bringing back design thinking to Mount Vernon and students really starting to get into um, asking questions around their community and community might just be their classroom. It might be the school. It might be Sandy Springs, Georgia. It might be Atlanta, et cetera. And then starting to prototype for things that they think are going to make a difference. Um, so I really think it started with design thinking and students making the prototype in that design thinking process. And then our students really, over time, they demanded more and more from us, from the adults, so that they could get more sophisticated in their making and in their building. And so in the early days, we really um, started with carts that had materials and equipment on them. And we did have a dedicated room for some of that uh, maker gear and maker materials. But really, in those early days, we thought of any space, any classroom, any hallway, um, any space as a maker space. And um, then again, like I said before, as students started to get deeper and deeper into their design work, they started to demand some more specialized ways to increase um, the sophistication of their work, the fidelity and the resolution, as we talk about in the design world. Um, and so we transformed a media center in the lower school into really our first more high level maker space with some uh, dedicated uh, carpentry equipment and some things that would drill, would cut, would saw um, that needed some specialized space. And now kind of fast forward, 
Um, we have four dedicated maker spaces on campus, one in the lower school, uh, one in the middle school, and two in our upper school building. Um, and we still, even with those dedicated spaces, we still um, regularly use carts um, to take that work into various spaces as we need to. Yeah, I love that. I, I love the imagery of uh, building that muscle early with a kindergartner and the, the types of you know projects that they've been able to engage with you know over the years. And in some ways, you're right. I mean, we we now run four fairly robust uh, maker spaces. But, you know, now that I think about it, we actually have more than four, because when you think about the type of work, uh, when, we, when we're combining maker arts and design, when I, when I think about, you know, our arts department in particular, both performing uh, and with ceramics um, on, on throughout uh, the school and throughout all of our divisions, you know, to some degree, uh, we're running, you know, I don't know, maybe eight different uh, maker art and design uh, spaces, especially based on the purpose-driven intentionality of, of some of those projects where agency is, is being cultivated. So um, I don't know, give us, give us, you know, as long as we've been doing it though, give a, give a fell up sort of moment of, you know, where we've, Put a model together and then we tested that with our uh you know our students and we know now today that we you know it's a foundational course even in our upper school uh regardless of whether you've been here and there hasn't been an interruption you know in that project but but uh, you know with any any progress like this and running those spaces which require a great deal of time energy and expertise uh you know there's been some blips you know, uh, along the way, is there something, you know, you might speak towards in that evolution of that story? Yeah, I will definitely try to. I think you made a great, great first point that um, while we think about those four um, in particular maker spaces, we actually have a lot of maker spaces. So even wow. our black box theaters yeah. um, will often become a maker space for set design. Um, our uh, even our art galleries, our uh, like the reception areas where people first walk into a building when we are uh, running various projects, those can often become a makerspace and certainly the art studios as well. And um, I think about um, in our upper school building, we've got a, a VR and an AR lab, a virtual reality and an augmented reality lab, which are digital makerspaces. We've got... Um, art teachers in the upper school that teach uh, jewelry making, they teach uh, fashion design, and those spaces become maker spaces. Mm -hmm. So I think kind of zooming out, a lot of the fail up, I think, is just a matter of iterating, of yeah. recognizing that when we first set up um, a more dedicated maker space in the lower school, even the organization of the space, like where did, where did the machines go? Where did the materials go in recognizing that um, those moments of starting um, where we actually had a bias towards action and just getting started, we recognized that, well, maybe this isn't the best way to organize the space. And so those became maker projects in and of themselves. So I think that um, some of our 
early years, the maker teacher having the students design better carts than we could buy on the market to organize materials in a better way. So that was a, a bit of a fail up of having to use some pre-made manufactured organizational tools and then realizing that, gosh, the students with some design work could probably do better for what we wanted to personalize and customize the space to ourselves. Um, and there's certainly a lot of examples of failing up with uh, cutting, drilling, um, students uh, working on something like a cockpit to the Millennium Falcon for a wheelchair and not um, thinking far enough in advance of what's underneath their drill or underneath their saw when they're cutting um, and making some mistakes. But that's helped us uh, to iterate to better processes um, and standard operating procedures as well. Yeah, it also makes me think of, you know, this push and pull around integrating maker across the school, not just at all divisions, but throughout all of our interdisciplinary and transdisciplinary moments and the degree to which everybody should be trained around it in terms of its integration, or do you start in small pockets and then allow that to, to grow and foster? And I think uh, your leadership and others has allowed that uh, to grow in a way that uh, uh, in spite of some of those stops and starts that I think we get to experience today. And I think that's a great pivot to the to the another question I have for you, which has been really around what have been some of the greatest benefits you think of maker for students, I would even say for our, for our faculty and staff, but what are some of those benefits uh, that you've seen at Mount Vernon uh, over the past decade? Yeah, thank you. Um, I think kind of the first layer is just the equipping and nurturing of people's creative confidence. Um, I know that I've been in a number of sessions, Brett, where you've stood up and given the example of um, asking a room of kinder kindergartners about how many of you are artists or how many of you are makers and everybody excitedly raises their hands. And it seems like the older they get, the fewer and fewer hands go up. And I think we've designed a program as a team here where students gain a real creative confidence and a sense of know-how. Um, it is magical when you look at something like um, through the window and you're recognizing the birds on campus and students come up with a project to build different birdhouses for the species of birds that live on campus. And when you can do that yourself, um, instead of thinking that it's somebody else's job to do it, but that you have the curiosity, the skill sets, the know-how, the drive, the motivation, the passion to do those things, it is incredibly empowering. And my own two sons know that the worst thing they can say to me in the car is when are they going to do something about some problem they see? Because um, I send them to a school here at Mount Vernon where the day is us uh, to have that creative confidence. And that creative confidence builds into a sense of agency. Um, and I think we really strive to nurture human beings agency here to recognize that I have the power, the potential, um, the curiosity to really make a difference in this world in big ways and in small ways. Um, and I think seeing the impact of those projects is hugely rewarding to our students. So um, I described that example of 
students building um, a cockpit of the Millennium Falcon in the Star Wars movie for a, a young man who was bound by a wheelchair. Um, and seeing that project come to an end um, and the look on his face and his parents' face and his family's face um, of realizing that I made that difference. Or last spring, some of our older maker students worked with some of our younger maker students to come up with personalized chairs for our kindergartners. And when a furniture designer that is 17 or 18 years old, alongside a furniture designer who's six years old, um, can work together on something like that and see it finished, it is incredibly empowering to take on the next project in the next project. And I think at our highest levels with our um, design brief work with Innovation Diploma, for those students to see the impact that they're making with a Delta or a Mercedes-Benz or um, a number of small companies to Fortune 100 companies and realizing that I did that as a 17-year-old. I know that many of our uh, graduates from the Innovation Diploma believe having consulted with somewhere between 20 and 24 different companies when they graduate. And many of those projects involve prototyping at the very least, but even making products that go on to impact those companies' work. Yeah, I love that because I think the stories that you're illustrating uh, reflect this integrative life for our students and that maker as a concept itself is not relegated to something on the side. It becomes a natural part of, regardless of what course they are involved in. And so I, th I think uh, you've illustrated that really well. So Mount Vernon Ventures, over the next 12 to 24 months, uh, is producing, publishing a number of, of products. And one of those products that we're going to be uh, releasing over the next month or so is a is a product called Leveling Up Maker Education. So Anne Marsh and Bo, you certainly were integral in the creation of this book designed to help schools take their maker programs to the next level. So Anne Marsh, tell our listeners a little bit about this book, Level Up, and how this could be a benefit uh, to their school. Yeah, thank you for that question. So we are super excited about this book. Um, it's a guide about leveling up maker, but it's really not a guide about how to entry level get into maker. It isn't going to teach you how to use a bandsaw or how to program a robot or those types of things. This book is really about taking your maker program to the next level so that you can foster learner agency, um, positive identity development, and maker competencies and skills. So these are really the things that Bo was talking about when he said, you know, the things that have benefited our students from Maker the most over the past decade It is that sense of creative confidence. It's that sense of agency. It's the sense of identity of who you are and that you're capable of making an impact now. Uh, but then it is really thinking about through our design thinking process, what are the specific maker competencies that we can work on? So not, not really a project-based mentality, per project, but thinking about it from higher level competencies. So. No, that's great. So then who specifically would this book be for who'd benefit the most uh, from it? 
Well, really, I think that if you have a maker program, you would benefit from this book. So we have seen over our um, history working with schools through our consulting capabilities that especially through the boom of maker popularity in the past 10 years, there's a lot of schools who launched a maker program, but haven't really integrated it in the same way that we have programmatically throughout the school. And so kids are making things, which is amazing. But this book is really for those schools who, who see the value in developing their students, not just uh, to make something cool, uh, but to help make them become expert learners. So if student agency is a, a key priority for you as a school and you have a maker program, this book is for you. Uh, but also, honestly, if you didn't launch a maker program, if you're a school that's just curious about what does maker have to offer me right now as a school, and uh, maybe your board has said we need to build a new building and there's a maker lab that's set to be designed in it, um, then this is also a great book because it gives you an opportunity to think about what the key priorities for your new maker program could be as well. Yeah, I think when you're you know, thinking about different products, uh, different types of tools you're trying to incorporate into such a space. You know, we want to buy the right things. We want to be able to optimize them and utilize them the best way possible. And sometimes in the midst of that, we forget really around what our, what is our desired outcome? What is our intention? How can it be integrated, you know, throughout the school? How can the utility of having as many students and teachers sort of experience that become part of our part of part of the mindset. So I agree with you. I think that whether you need kind of a reboot or you want to launch something for the first time, I think uh, this this will be a great guide to help you do that. Also, I think it's interesting in terms of uh, timing. So in March, why why release this book now? Why haven't, you know, could have maybe released this five years ago because we've been deep into this work and it's covered both campuses uh, throughout our school and many demonstrations internally and externally. Um, so why, why release this book now? Yeah, that's a great question. I'm sure there are lots of schools that are thinking, I would have loved to have read that book 10 years ago. But you know what, this isn't the book that we would have written 10 years ago. And I think um, we've really been intentional about writing in today's context as part of our justification for a maker and maker program. And as a school, we really believe that maker education is an important skill set for our students in the context of AI, technological changes, an uncertain world, all of the transformation that's happened around our world. Um, and when we think about that, just knowing we we have no idea, our littles that are, you know, starting kindergarten today, uh, we don't know what their world's going to look like when they're 18, but we do know that Maker capitalizes on our uniquely human skills. And when Maker is paired with design thinking, as it has been in our context, um, really indexing on building empathy teaching kids to be resilient through the iteration process, 
listening to feedback and incorporating it into their work and learning how to collaborate with diverse teams. These are all things that we know are going to be important in the future, even in the face of a changing world and an AI, AI world. And so um, this is really for us kind of a um, reignition or, or really um, saying like this is still important to us, especially now, especially given uh, the context of the world. So that's kind of why why now it, it seems uh, more timely now, uh, just with all of the things that have happened in the world to change than it would have been a few years ago. And maybe there's an advantage of, of not having one before and starting one now. I mean, I, I think that uh, the over the last several years, I think there's a couple of things to acknowledge. One of the acceleration of technology, uh, AI specifically, and then also acknowledging the value of human connection and human capacity and capability. So it's uh, it's it's holding both of those at the same time. And Maker is just a nice sort of uh, bridge in connection uh, with acceleration of technology and uh, the power of human connection and and possibility. So so I think that uh, you can a school can certainly learn from uh, our progress and and uh, iterations along the way and mishaps and and celebratory moments. I think you could benefit uh, from all the in depth work across all developmental age levels. At the same time, you're entering and in a very exciting sort of uh, intersection of the world, and I think this could not be a better up, better time to level up a program like Maker. I guess, Bo, speak a little bit more to that. In that, you know, what would you give? Well, maybe both of you. What advice would you give? You know, schools for considering uh, that they're considering to implement Maker. Uh, or level, leveling up their maker programs. Yeah, I have two come to mind, uh, kind of two categories of uh, encouragement come to mind. One is to really find things that matter in the local setting and, and problems that matter to the students. So for example, it might be that um, a group of students starts with creating something to set their uh, mobile phone on their bedside table. And that's a starting place for them because it's something that matters to them. And uh, we often go through rotations here of creating something that's uh, really presented by the teacher. And then they learn skills through that process. And then they make something that's more personalized um, and customized for them. And then they start to make for other people through a much more sophisticated design thinking process. So that local problem could be something that's going on in their classrooms, like when our first graders or kindergartners rather created a, a reading area in their classroom because they wanted a quiet area to read and used some maker uh, capabilities to do that. The second category of encouragement would be to just start where you are. Um, we talk here about a norm of leading from where you are. And I think that if you believe you have to have a um, 3D printing library of machines and you have to have three laser cutters and all, you know, a water jet, you don't need those things to start. That might be something that a school with some 
intermediate and advanced capabilities starts to look at to level up even further. But like our origin story of just providing the, the conditions for students to be making and starting from where we are and learning from those processes, I think, is uh, where I would start. And Marshall, thank you. I totally agree. I think I would also just add um, to think about the human element that, you know, we talk a lot about at, at Mount Vernon that we're not making things, we're making learners and focusing on the, the human sense of curiosity, the human sense of agency, empathy and collaboration and how you're fostering those skills that will transfer across many different disciplines that you're empowering kids who will be able to make a change in their future. And, you know, for us, um, while some maker teachers might cringe to hear us say it, I don't really care if they know how to use the 3D printer, but I do care that they can spot a problem and that they have the, the feeling that they have the skills that they can tackle that problem and that they can do something to make a positive impact and design a better world. So uh, focusing on those human transferable skills would be my um, add-on to both wisdom and advice as well. Well, as this uh, product is released, I, I hope that uh, it, it certainly will be helpful. And I think this conversation today will help support someone thumbing through that and beginning to think about how to, to understand where they are and start from where they are. So I, I, I love that. So Bowen and Marsh, thank you so much for uh, joining me today. For our listeners, you can check out more resources, purchasing Level Up uh, Maker online at mvventures.org. And reach out to us if you have any questions. Uh, thank you all for joining us on today's episode of Start With Questions, a transformational leadership podcast hosted by Mount Vernon Ventures. Thanks, Ann Marsh and Bo. Thanks. Thank you. Enjoyed it. <laughs>